how can I have spiritual integrity with my sex life, you know? And like, that doesn't have to look like I'm a fucking Puritan. So that's why I mean, I'm curious to ask other people about what their experience is with it, you know? What does their, what does others healing look like? everybody this is Ryan and this is Louisa and you're listening to sober sex I made a promise to myself to stop not listening what it looks like now is that I make conscious choices around my sexuality it started with putting down the substances really and starting to listen and the listening to my body has changed Hello, everybody. Welcome back to Sober Sex. We are delighted to welcome Lauren Flax. Lauren is a Detroit native and longtime Brooklyn resident DJ who has been performing internationally for many years in a variety of projects and genres. And she has an EP coming out on 2MR. Welcome, Lauren, and happy Sober this week. Thank you. Yeah. Feeling good, man. Feeling good. We're delighted to have you here. Thank you for joining us on Sober Sex. I love you both very much. <laughs> I love you so much. <laughs> like, I actually felt, I was like, I listened to the, Rose is doing a project called Sober Stories, listeners. Check it out. And uh, Lauren was the first broadcasted guest. And it was like, so nice. to. I was just like, I love these people so much. And I'm so happy they're connected. And like, you know, it's, it's, I feel like you are deeply kind of woven into the fabric of the show, not only in terms of sobriety and kind of like spirituality, but also because like a big connection point for us is Gina Turner. <laughs> And yeah, she has been on two episodes. The only repeat guest <laughs> thus far. My sister watched that episode and called me like almost in tears. It was very sweet. Oh, she didn't. She's never really heard my story like so linear. You know, she's just you know through the years. So like hearing it all kind of laid out, she was just like, it was really sweet. Wow. So it was re- super courageous. It was so, I don't know, I just felt deeply touched after the interview. I can never watch stuff back. I'm just like, somebody else take it. But um, yeah, I was really moved by your story. So Thank you. So fucking vulnerable and open and yeah, inspiring for people too. And we might ask you to recap some of it <laughs> during this particular yeah. recording. Yeah, sure. So what's this record that's coming out on TMR? <clears throat> It's more it, what well, was supposed to come out like early last year. And of course, COVID um, kind of shut down all the pressing plants. So, you know, the label was like, well, do you want to release it just digitally? But I'm like, I, I just don't want to release anything. If I have the opportunity to release on vinyl, I'm going to release on vinyl. And plus, we already shot the cover and it was really beautiful. And I want to see it like 12 inch, you know. <clears throat> and um, I mean, I'm on the cover, so I don't want to say it's beautiful, but like the colors. Beautiful. Like- Own it. <laughs> <laughs> but um it's just like it, it's I, I mean i love everything about it so um so we waited and then the pressing plant started opening so now it's i just got the test presses and it's more like experiment it's i don't want to even say necessarily experimental because it's but it's just different for like what i release it's like I, the first song is called out of reality with this uh, woman friend of mine alejandra de Giza, and she's in school of seven bells oh, um, she's got this, this ethereal beautiful vocals like i sent her this track and she sent me the vocals back and I like started crying. Mm-hmm. And That's so it, powerful that you get to so, kind of exchange with your own art like that. Like, wow, what a thing. Really, like it was like, 
the perfect kind of collaboration because, you know, I always want to see what, what my music brings out of somebody, another artist. I don't, I'm not that great at writing lyrics. So like, I'm not much help. So I, when I work with somebody that like it comes out of them, it just makes me so I'm just like in awe. Um, mm. So it's, you know, I'm excited about that. We're actually shooting a video for it um, this month. So it should be really cool. And then, um, yeah, there's just like, there's five tracks on it, including a scream remix. Like I literally posted a 30 second clip of the um, song with me and Allie. And it's just like the synth line and her vocals. And he like wrote me on, on Twitter. He's like, give me the stems. I have to remix that. That is so awesome. Yeah. Wow. I sent him the stems and he cranked out this really amazing remix. So he put that on the vinyl. Um, And so, yeah, it's looking like hopefully April, which weirdly (laughs) doesn't seem that far away, even though we're like, it's like snow, like crazy snow in New York. Um, no, that's tomorrow. April is tomorrow. <laughs> it really, it, like, way, the way last year flew by, it was just like, I don't even know. Nothing seems far off anymore. Yeah, it flew really- by or like dissociated for the really- entire year. I'm not sure. 1,000%. 1, it was like nothing was linear. Like last year was actually 2018. Like it's just weird. Right. Yeah. <laughs> oh, time. <laughs> <laughs> that old thing. Um mm-hmm. So we like to get the conversation started and ask uh, what your pronouns are. First. She, hers. Great, us too. And how are you doing today? You know, I, I've been sleeping. I haven't been sleeping that great. So I've been sleeping later than I like to. I like to get up around like 9, 9.30, but I'm like, you know, my alarm went off at 11. I'm just like, this is weird. So I'm just kind of getting my get day started and... Uh, I mean, I'm pretty good. I'm just going to the studio every day. I, 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 I like. It seems like we're all. <clears throat> I pretend like basically we're always in lockdown. I'm either home or in the studio, so that's it. Um, so that's been good. I'm just I'm writing again for the first time. I didn't write anything last year. I didn't finish a song in 2020. Do you so. feel like it was kind of like just taking the time to like acclimate to a global situation that was obviously like super traumatic, or 100%. do you think? Yeah, you needed to kind of diffuse well, a little bit before making stuff again. All of the things. I just felt like honestly, like super, super, super small um, last year in in the in the grand big picture, and that the way that I needed to kind of the way that I channel my energy and all of emotions is through music. But it wasn't the proper outlet last year. It wasn't going to work that way. I wasn't going to make a difference and do the things I needed to do. So. I just accepted that I needed to channel all of the anger and rage on the streets in protests and do as much as I could. And that was that. So I was basically out, you know, as much as everybody else last year, you know, writing phone numbers on my leg, waiting to get arrested and just, you know, and and that's what I needed to do. And I literally was not pushing myself to sit down and write. Like um, I've been saying this a lot, but honoring the process, you know, Mm -hmm. honor the process. And I don't want to, force you can't force creativity and a lot of I used to do it I used to force myself to sit in a room and like try to write and then nothing would come out and then I would do it the next day the next day Mm -hmm. until something finally came out but like that's not the way to do it man you got to go out and replenish the creative spirit fill the well yeah yeah so um so literally like end of last year beginning of this year is when I finally started writing again do you feel like the 
like the anger and the rage and the kind of contact that you were able to make with that in terms of like protest and manifestation was a, like, are you observing it in the work that's coming out now? Yeah, uh, definitely. It feels like, um, you know, I was comparing this and I said this when I was talking with uh, the guys on DJs and beers, I did a DJs and beers thing <laughs> with my non-alcoholic beers. <laughs> yeah. And I got to represent and um, I was explaining to them this exact situation, like, um, you know, when Trump won is when I really started writing, like, pretty angry techno. Um, you know, that's, like, part of the my bunker record. You know, One, one Man's House is Another Woman's Techno is a fucking hard track. Um, I was angry. So now it seems like the stuff that I'm writing now isn't quite so hard, but it's, like, hopeful, but it's sturdy. It's almost like I feel like I've solidified, like, you can't shock me anymore. Like I feel ready to fight and like, um, and I feel like there's hope also. So it's not so dire. Um, so I feel like that's kind of like what's the, the music I'm writing now is, is also kind of different. It's like not necessarily dance floor stuff, but it's, it's dance. It's like housey. Um, I don't know. I don't, and I'm really fail at explaining like the sound, but it def- it definitely feels like a shift has happened and like I'm much more sturdy cameo from the cat <laughs> is happening on the, the zoom recording right now <laughs> yeah sorry you just saw her Consensus. <laughs> <laughs> no but that's that's really exciting I think it's always like challenging to kind of um assess work as it's being created like that the whole like John Cage has that like list of commandments for making art and it's like don't create and analyze at the same time <laughs> it's like a big one oh. But oh it sounds God. like, yeah, you have a really kind of clear vision and kind of um, not necessarily what's coming out, but like how it's, how it feels as it's coming out, which I think is really interesting. Yeah. You, t- you totally nailed like also the, the, the thought about honoring the process. I've tried to, I'm starting to take it to that next place, which is exactly what you're talking about. Like I'm not trying to, um, I am having to rewire my brain as I'm writing all this music um, to not instantly go to this label's going to want that. This person's mm. going to like that. Da-da-da-da-da-da. Like I'm literally keeping this music in these four walls for these next few months. I'm just going to write and see what comes out. And that's like my next phase of honoring the process is like going back to this, like the real like creators mindset that I'm doing this for me actually. And hopefully other people can resonate as long as I'm being real to myself you know so um so yeah that's exactly like I, I fucking that resonates that's super beautiful and i mean i think that it's like there is the opportunity to kind of reassess the like capitalist game of like business techno <laughs> at the moment mm-hmm. and it's like there's no gigs to play you know like you're saying it's not necessarily dance floor based so this idea of having music that like i i think about this a lot this like t- praying not for the thing, but to be worthy of the thing. Like, I don't want the perfect track. I want to have space within me to make the track that I, f- that feels perfect for what it is, you know? So it's not mm-hmm. like the end result, which is like, you know, kind of something that we think about a lot here, especially in terms of sobriety, right. Of like not in the results business, <laughs> mm-hmm. like staying in the action. So that's like, it's, it's beautiful that it sounds like your process is so kind of intentional around that. Yeah. And so much integrity as well. Like, it sounds like you're not willing just to fucking create for create's sake, just like turn some wank out or whatever. 
that you're right in there and connecting to that which I think a lot of people you know in this last year have just been like gotta stay busy gotta keep you know learn how to bake it out. <laughs> <laughs> you know let's not pretend this is happening by just going into overdrive yeah. you know and Although maybe there is something there. It's like, I would if I fucking could, <laughs> you know, but it doesn't work. Like yeah. the, the, it has definitely like diminishing returns. Yeah. Um, so you two, where did you guys make? So I believe my, my first recollection of hearing about Lauren was like multiple people when I was about 18 in New York City was like, do you know Lauren Flax? You have to know Lauren Flax. And I was like, I don't know Lauren Flax. And a certain mutual friend, Sandra Crookmar, who's also – a uh, f- lady DJ. <laughs> um, I think she like dragged you to a place that you were playing and it was fucking awesome. It was like a sweaty pit in the Lower East Side and it was super fun and I was immediately very impressed. And like over time, <laughs> over the last 17 fucking years, like it's it's been nice to kind of be interwoven into similar communities. And yeah, that's that's my side of the story. What about you, Lauren? <laughs> I know, God. I mean, I do remember, I feel like it, it's so funny that you brought up Sandra because I haven't like seen her or talked to her in so long. Do you talk to her anymore? No. No, I mean, I feel like she pops up like once every seven to 10 years. Yeah. But, and we ran into each other in LA at one point and I like met her sister. Um, and, but uh, no, not, it's, it's weird that this kind of a person who's kind of a fulcrum of a lot of different connections in my life, I never, ever see, but yeah. Uh, yeah, she's the first person I remember talking about you. Crazy. Yeah. I mean, my memory is so terrible. <laughs> so I, I mean, I just, you know, I have like these memories of just like, sit, like basically sitting in like a sweaty, disgusting bar and us like broing down way back in the day. That's it. <laughs> yeah. And I mean, it's interesting. Like it, it's, it seems like a lot of people from that kind of community have either died or gotten sober. Mm-hmm. And I'm really grateful that uh, you and I have survived ourselves. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. We have survived despite ourselves sometimes. Indeed. Yeah. So can you talk about uh, what your journey to recovery or to sobriety was? I'm trying to figure out where to even start, but cause like I started my journey of healing probably when I was like 34 years old and it's kind of like, it was, it was the day that I had this dream that it was a lucid dream and something had grabbed me by the ankles, a spirit and pulled me out of my body and we went shooting up and I wasn't scared we were going up, my stomach dropped because we were going up so quick, you know? And then we're up in this place and I'm hearing all these spirits yelling, Hey, Hey, Hey. And then, um, and then I just like snapped back into my body. And then I remember waking up and being like, that was weird. And then like, for some reason later that day, like the wool came out from under my eyes of my ego being like, you know, cause your ego wants to protect you from when you're traumatized. Right. So, mm-hmm as a person who's a survivor of, you know, childhood sexual trauma, um, my ego was like, you're fine. Don't give it power. Don't give it power. You're good. Don't worry. And that day it was like, whoosh, it was like, Nope, it actually fucked with every single cell of your body. 
and you have to, you have to start facing this. So I feel like that day I started to see truth, right? So like in a small sense of it, like it took ayahuasca actually to help me see more truth. Like, you know, we had spoken about in um, sober stories, you know, um, but it was around that time that I kind of was like, okay, like I started to unpack what was going on. And then I started hearing the word ayahuasca around from people I care about. And so I kind of looked into it and I just, just clicked. I was like, I have to do this, even though I know I'm really scared. What um, were you afraid of? Cause I'd never even taken acid, you know, and this is the strongest psychedelic in the world. Um, but, yeah, that sounds fucking scary. <laughs> You're like, ooh, ooh. But yeah. that's cool that it came. The message came so so intensely, like clear, clear and strong. <laughs> you know, and that really, literally, like I've said this before, Path of the Warrior. This is like your if you face something and do something that's very that you're very scared of, but you know it's for the greater good of your existence. That's the fucking Path of the Warrior. Like, so that's kind of when it began for me. And um, and so you know, fast forward to let's see 2017 you know so ayahuasca i started taking ayahuasca and i started meditating and then the meditating kind of like put me back in my body you know like to me that the um concept of anxiety is when my spirit is like hanging out of my body mm-hmm. and i'm not grounded right so meditating grounding put me back in my body in a way that i'd never experienced before and so um you know, then that was probably 2016. So in 2017, you know, after Trump won and spending, you know, a good amount of time, like three, three months drunk, I like decided to like clean up my act and, you know, get my shit together <clears throat> and just take a month off. You know, we talked about this with sober stories, but, um, but it ended up being like a month, two months, three months, four months. And then I was like, I just have to stop. And when I unpacked it, when I unpacked it later, it basically felt like, okay, you're in your body now. It's time to figure out who the fuck you are. Because I literally didn't know who I was. I didn't know who I was. I didn't know the things I wanted. I didn't know what I, you know what I mean? I'm still figuring it out. Um, and you just couldn't, I couldn't do that with alcohol in the mix anymore. So <clears throat> from that point on, I just, I haven't had a drink since. That's super powerful. I mean, especially it, I think it speaks a lot to this idea that like, it's very difficult to know what's going on with someone else because like in, in knowing you for a long time, I always felt like this is somebody who seems pretty embodied. <laughs> it seems like they like know who they are. They have a clear idea what they want. They have a strong character, strong personality. And the fact that like, you know, you're in the middle of a kind of discovery process and a revolution that I would never have guessed, you know, unless you're kind of speaking more explicitly about it. Like that's, mm-hmm. I think it's, it's super humbling to be like, fuck, like we, we have no idea what's going on with other people. No. And like, you know, it's funny. It's like, I always knew, I always knew music is what makes me tick. Um, I always, you know, um, had kindness at the center of everything and, and empathy. Um, so those mm-hmm. things, you know, were always there. Um, but like the anxiety, you never saw me with anxiety because I would go home or I wouldn't leave my house until it was gone, you know? So like, that's basically the big thing. So when you see me, but like, it's, it's interesting because it was still very hard to be present. I just wasn't in my body. It was like, 
almost taking social cues and trying to figure out how to be. And I just didn't, and it, it's, it's interesting when you come back into your body and you're like, Oh, I just need, I, I just have to be me. I don't know if anyone understands this, but it's completely. Yeah. yeah. It's crazy, isn't it? Because I think when you spend a lot of time leaving your body and then you finally arrive back in, and I, it still happens to me. Like I can still tap out and come back in. I always feel really sad about the fact that I checked out on myself. Mm. Like I kind of let myself down, you know. And initially I'm like, but why? And I realized it's just to be socially convenient or something. Mm-hmm. Literally, it would have been it would have been to slip into something very like, I just didn't feel like standing in my power at that moment. So I'd rather just check out. Yeah. And then I can be gone for like a week, you know. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, I would go as far to say that it's not even like, for me now, like choosing presence and choosing to kind of like be where my feet are, be in my skin at the moment. It's like, it's that's, it's definitely like an opt in, you know, that the default is like, I'm not, no, like I was in talking to my therapist yesterday and we were talking about like conflict and how my kind of options feel like submit and disassociate so it's like everything's fine it's like i'm totally okay and like in that i there's no there's no ability to have any kind of consent in anything like in any decision making in any interaction like i i bounced you know and then on the other side there's incredible rage that i fucking left and i did all these things that i didn't want to do or okay shit that i was not okay with you know so like right now the work feels like it's building a bridge between like staying present so I can advocate for myself in the, in the middle because like Mm. the, the urge to not even urge like the default mode of just like, bye (laughs) conflict, bye, (laughs) you know, it's like, yeah, it's so uh, strong and, and uh, like, it's not a choice, you know, Mm. how Lauren, how did you kind of like, what's the process can you walk us through kind of being what, what it feels like or how you, how you become embodied, like what it feels like staying in your body? Yeah. I mean, what, what's interesting is, you know, I still, if I get anxiety or things like that, now I can tell the difference and I can catch it and do the exercises that I need. It's like, you know, we basically are just constantly building tools in our toolbox. You know what I mean? So that the problems aren't going to go away. Mm -hmm. We just are going to have the tools to we'll work with them now. You know, it's like a really good way to also be kinder to yourself. Like just yeah. because you know how to deal with it doesn't mean it's not going to happen. You just know how to deal with it now. Yeah. Um, Even when you talked about like the ego being a protective mechanism, especially for uh, those of us who have trauma, like what mm-hmm. a compassionate view. It's like, it's not my enemy. It's like this thing that was had to step in in order to protect me. And now yeah. I have other tools. <laughs> yeah, exactly. It's like the ego is just, it overcompensates. Like it's, we have to keep our egos in check. And, um, <clears throat> and it's interesting because like, what is a healthy ego? What is a healthy ego? These tools of being able to kind of, instead of letting the, letting the, letting who I think I am, like run the show, asking it what it needs when it kind of comes up, especially when it's like, angry or bossy or sad like to be like hey what do you need as opposed to like oh you better take over (laughs) um because you have loud feelings um and from there being able to kind of tell where like boundaries are Mm. you know because it can be so confusing especially if like whenever any boundary comes up i just fucking bounce (laughs) 
<laughs> you know? So I, I think that there is such a thing as a healthy ego. Like, no, I, I absolutely do too. I think yeah. it's important for us to have healthy egos. Like the ego is there for a reason. It's just like the, the word itself is, is the meaning of it is just bastardized, like arrogance and no, but ego is there for a reason. Yeah. And how, or how can I hook, hook it up to like source? Right. Yeah. Like, I think, I think mindfulness is probably one of the, one of the better, one of the best ways to probably for healthy ego. Cause you're always, you're always observing. And is that kind of your practice or part of your practice? I guess so. I never really like, I didn't like choose, but I'm constantly asking myself questions like, why did I think that? Or what could I have done this differently or better? Or what, um, what can I do next time? Or just, just like questioning thought patterns and, um, intention is a big thing recently for me. Intention like that feels like is almost as big as empathy. Like, what is the intention of this action or this um, conversation? Or like, intention is as important as empathy in the kind yeah. of personal, like personal and creative. Yeah, I just think, yeah, actually, and that probably goes along the line with honoring the process. Like, if your intention is to get rich, you're creating music to get rich. Like, what are you? Will that actually support your greater good? Will that ex- support your soul level? Probably not. Like if your intention is to heal with music, that's a better intention. And maybe you'll have the opportunity to help others heal. And you know what happens when you're helping others and other people listen to your music. You might be able to have a career. You know what I mean? So I feel like the intention is really like, or just, you know, yeah, I'm just examining everything. Like, why was I going to post this picture? So, so was it? to like subconsciously so this person would see it or do you know what I mean? Like why Uh, constantly asking why that's beautiful. So So what's, what is like the why of today? Like if you kind of connect to it, like where, where's your intention at, where's your intentionality like this morning? um, I think just honestly um, taking it slow. I'm like the same as it's been for a while. Like I'm not making big plans. I'm just like doing what I need to do in the moment. So I'm basically just not trying to set high standards for myself. Like I'm going to go to the studio. Like I'm going to talk with you guys. My intention is just to like literally honor all of that. That's beautiful. Yeah. And also I think it's like, it's so wise right now just cause like any kind of future tripping, any kind of planning, like we've spent the last you know, year figuring out or feeling that like, it's all dust, you know, like all plans that were, were quote unquote supposed to happen regarding gigs and tours and out releases, all company, like it's all so uncertain right now. So like the only, the best I could possibly do is show up and be present today, you know, and kind of see what happens. (laughs) Like, when are we going to have this opportunity again? Like I'm so focused on healing right now. And like, um, like when am I going to have this opportunity where I don't have to do a million things or travel or push and, and like have deadlines and like we are being forced to slow down. We were forced to slow down last year. This year it's the same. So I'm just like literally taking, um, I'm like really enjoying this winter. Everyone's kind of like, Oh, I'm depressed. Da, da, da. You know what I have Right to be. Um, but for me, I'm just like, I'm going to take this time alone and like, go deep 
and get the work done, get see, you know, and, and that's, that's my intention of this winter, just taking advantage of this great pause. Yeah. Yeah. Well, cause I mean, I think that what you're saying in terms of like deadlines and touring and try, especially for me, like as also an anxious person, <laughs> like the travel can feel really traumatic mm-hmm. just cause it's, it doesn't feel good to be in my body during those like, you know, 6am in a fucking like airport in Germany. <laughs> and yeah. yes, that is living the dream, but it's also like, fuck, I'm so lonely and so tired, you know, that like the, all of the efforts to kind of learning, learn to stay and to be tender with like mm-hmm. the part of me that's so fucked, like freaked out by the entire thing, <laughs> mm-hmm. like get kind of crushed in that moment. So this idea of like w- getting downtime, you know, for kind of, kind of an extended period to like refuse those connections in sustainable ways, you know, so the kind of auto abandonment doesn't necessarily come as default mode anymore. Yeah. But man, <laughs> that's the work. It's, it is work. And also it is a lonely journey. It is a lonely existence right now. You can't escape it. Can you unpack that a little bit in terms of like your present like experience of loneliness? I think like <clears throat> I've never experienced, I mean, you know me, I'm a very social person. I get along with everybody and um, my core group of people are gone you know, like I, I luckily, one of my best friends moved in next door to the loft next door to me, which is amazing. Nice. I'm so grateful for that. <clears throat> and I have another really good friend who's not far from me. So it's good, but it's still like, um, it's still very different, you know, cause he's working a lot and, and, um, and it just feels, I just, I've never kind of experienced a time where I want to be social and I can't. Yeah. Yeah. It's like a global novelty (laughs) of this age. Yeah. And the loneliness is, is real. Like sometimes I feel it in my fingertips, you know, I'm just like, but that's not a new feeling for me because, you know, while I've been going through the healing process this last, you know, eight years, there's a good chunk of that where I had to be alone and I couldn't date. I had to just deal. And that was also very lonely, but I knew that the, the, it was for a good reason to allow me down the road, a better relationship. Well, I remember like a few, I don't know what time means, like a couple years ago, I guess, when we were in Amsterdam together um, and having a conversation in which you were like, kind of talking about this specifically, like your commitment to your own like healing before needing to kind of soothe personal loneliness in terms of romantic partnerships was like super impressive and very, very intentional. I remember being like, mm-hmm. damn, like <laughs> Lauren's on fire for this shit. Um, so like, ha- do you feel like it's kind of still in that, in that space where you're really placing your, like your healing above all other things or like, how is, how has that evolved since? Um, <clears throat> it's interesting because I did get involved in a, pretty deep relationship last year, but given um, 2019 was pretty tough because, because of all the healing that happened, it allowed the space for some suppressed memories to come up. Mm. So I had started dealing with that in the beginning of 2019. So for me, 2019 was a really tough year. And I remember at the end of the year, my friend, I was talking to my friend Kiki who, um, you know, does astrology and tarot. And she's like, you think this is, this year is hard at, at the end of 2019. She's like, 2020 is going to be 
fucking nuts. I hope I'm ready. <laughs> like, I'm okay, like, Kiki. <laughs> I, yeah, I was like, what am I going to die? Like, what? How could it possibly be worse? This was a really hard year for me. Well, <laughs> 2020 is like whole year. At least it's not personal. <laughs> yeah, exactly. But um, but that's also it. It's like um, dealing with that, and um, 2020 kind of. All the pandemic, the civil unrest, and then another kind of really difficult situation, a personal experience kind of happened in 2020. So I shut down. I like my body, everything completely shut down. Like I was numb, like numb. I've never felt like this before. And um, music wasn't getting through. I couldn't listen to things. I definitely couldn't write. The only thing that gave me solace was getting out on the street. And um, and kind of because of that, I you know I, I ended a relationship because I just couldn't I couldn't get on the other side of it. So I feel like I'm finally, you know, I had to kind of just. I keep saying on to the process, but it's like, I did have to kind of like take my time with myself. And, um, I started doing EMDR, uh, along with my other therapy. And, awesome. And so I'm back. I'm like, and also doing this really awesome 40 day Kundalini to clear stagnant. And that's when I started writing music again. When I started like five days in, I wrote a song. I was like, yeah. oh, man. it's happening. Yeah. <laughs> And, um, and I've kind of just been going with that. And now I feel like I'm in a place where I can start dating again. Awesome. I mean, just because like, it sounds like all of the kind of the level of sensitivity and, um, kind of steadfastness you have in relationship to self is paying off in the, in the fact that you're like not pushing yourself to be in a place that you can't be. You know, and I think that there's like, it can be very confusing with a lot of social messages of like, should, you know, especially during a fucking pandemic, which like, you should be happy, you should be sad, you should be busy, you should be tired, like, just on a daily basis, it feels like it can be like a barrage of information of like, expectations. (laughs) Yeah, that's your, so you're nailing, it's like, it's so difficult when somebody puts those expectations on you. And when you're dealing with your own personal traumas, there's no fucking rule book. There's no like you in this. I have to do, I have to figure this shit out and do what makes me feel what helps me heal. Yeah. There is no and rule. It could be heartbreaking. It's cause it's like, I, I wish it were different, but yo, like. me too. Me too. Um, so to kind of speak to that, like, and also, you know, if, if any of this is kind of like sensitive and you don't want to talk about it, like, obviously we're going to be editing this episode. Feel free to be like, no. Nope. Okay. <laughs> Um, but what were some of the early messages you received around sex and sexuality? Um, like when I was a kid or? Yeah. I mean, just like the the kind of earliest ideas you had around like sex and sexuality. I mean, I was raised in a very Catholic family. Um, I was told that being naked is dirty. Um, I was devastated in the fourth grade when I found out that my parents had to have sex in order to have birth oh, no. to me. <laughs> devastated. And it's like, oh, poor young Lauren. <laughs> yeah. So I was never um, taught anything. Um, so it, it gave me tremendous, you know, I mean, I just, yeah, I, I feel like I was, it just made me feel oppressed in that way. Um, 
And it probably wasn't until I was in my early 20s that I started to like get comfortable with my body. But even so, it was like it took alcohol. Yeah. It took alcohol to get me there. Um, and also like learning that like, and also, you know, being gay. In a yeah. How did that happen? If you were like, no sex, <laughs> you can't be naked. And then you find out that you're like mad gay. <laughs> yeah. And then I'm mad gay. And how did that happen? <laughs> or how did you shake off the old ideas enough to kind of like come out and accept yourself? It took a long time for me to like, I, I believed my mom, like my dad was never religious growing up, but I went to Catholic school in the East side of Detroit and like school is gnarly. It's in, but I believed them. And so when I figured out that I was gay in the ninth grade, I had like my first girl crush. I was like, well, this isn't good. Like I'm going to go to hell. And that's oh, like, poor, poor young Lauren. <laughs> I mean, like, my heart breaks for her. I mean, it was just, you know, like a lot, a lot of kids go through. It's a lot of shame. And I was um, suicidal. And in, um, you know, my senior year, I was so fucked up with anxiety that this is crazy. This is crazy what happened. My senior year of high school, I was so in such a panic attack the whole year that I thought that I got into a car accident and then I was in a coma and that everything that was going on around me was a dream and I was going to wake up any moment and I was going to be okay. And so this is me like heavily closeted senior in high school, barely going to school. I don't know how the fuck I graduated, Um, but I did. And after I graduated, I, my parents were gone somewhere and I went downstairs and I stole a beer and I slammed a beer and I, they came home and I just like, was like, I have to tell them right now. And then they, they sat on the couch and I sat on the ottoman and I just bawled my eyes out for about 30 minutes and it just said it. And exactly what you would imagine happened. Why do you choose this lifestyle? You did it. Um, so it didn't go well. And, um, and I don't even like the whole time frame of my teenage years is fucked up. I don't remember things. So I think that I'm under, unpacking now that the trauma of all of it kind of really jumbled my memory of all of yeah. it. Yeah. Um, but I did stop ha- um, having panic attacks at that moment. I was actually, I came out and I was okay for a good few years. That's amazing. Uh, I mean, just like what a. Um like nod to integrity and authenticity. Like, I mean, I definitely moved out of my house. It wasn't, I'll just never forget. This is when I was delivering pizzas. Okay. And I had been pulled over like three days before. And then I came out to my parents and the next day I got pulled over while I was delivering pizzas and I fucking lost it on the cop. I was like, I don't give a fuck what you do. Fuck you. Give me a fucking ticket. I'm driving this fucking car into a wall. I don't give a fuck. And he was like, and I'm bawling my eyes out, screaming at this dude. He's like, well, why are you, why are you going to do that? And I'm like, because I got kicked out of my house. And he was like, well, why? And I'm like, because I'm fucking gay. And then he goes, well, I got kicked out of my house too, you know? And he didn't say he was gay or anything like that, but he's like, you know, he took my ID. And I'm just like, bawling my eyes out. Oh my God. <laughs> 
ready to drive. I know, ready to drive my car into a fucking wall. Okay. He comes back 10 minutes later, hands me my ID and says, have a nice day. Didn't give me a ticket and let me go. That guy fucking saved my life. Yeah. Holy shit. Just, do you feel like it was the kind in, in hindsight, do you feel like it was like one kind of moment of human kindness? Mm-hmm. 100%. That guy, that man was probably one of my soulmates. I believe in soulmates as enemy. They could be an enemy and they could be a loved one. They could be your grandparent. They could be a person you met once for one minute. They are meant to do a, a life changing situation in your life. They do something that changes the course of your life mostly to teach you in a good way. That man was probably one of my soulmates. I mean, I would say 100% based on that definition. Yeah. <laughs> like, fuck. And so how did you wind up in New York and kind of being a techno DJ and like becoming who you are, you know? Um, I tur- When I turned 21, I left Detroit, moved to Chicago for a couple of years. Um, and then in 2002, I was supposed to move end of 2001, but 9-11 happened. So I was delayed, obviously. And then... Um, I, I came here, I think, in February of 2001, 2002, and um, I've been here ever since. And do you feel like your relationship with the city has kind of, like, allowed you to more clearly, like, define yourself and, like, has given you a, a home? I mean, it was just, like, such a fucking amazing playground, and I hit the ground running, you know what I mean? Like, I was working full-time and partying every single night and DJing whenever I could, it was a little bit difficult at first because I'd never really heard of jukebox DJs and they were jukebox DJs when I got here. And I was like, what are these people? Like, you're not matching beats. Like, who are you? Like I'm Detroit, Chicago. Like you don't fuck, we don't fuck with that shit. Like when I moved to New York, I was like, what are you, what are you doing? You know, <laughs> like dummy new mark cdj's mixers just couldn't believe <laughs> i was in that world for a while it just wasn't my world and i just but i also like was just partying so much and having a good time and and whatever like i don't think i really honed back into djing until like i don't know 2006 and in terms of like kind of like queerness how did that kind of move through this story <sighs> Um, at time of my life, I was like a big fat <laughs> slut. Ruled. <laughs> yeah, I was. Yeah, you, a new girl in town. You know, I definitely had the time of my life. I had a lot of fun. Awesome, that's yeah. good news because it sounds like it was really, really rough for a long time, and then you're just like, mm-hmm. "Fuck it, it's out, it's on," and it worked. One hundred percent hit the ground running. Hell yes! And so, what, like. I mean, I guess the next question on our list of questions is like, what does the path look like for you today? But I think we've kind of thoroughly covered that, you know, like in terms of intention and healing and like staying with the process, right? Um, I know that you have uh, Maitri. Is that how you pronounce it? Maitri, yep. Tattooed on your forehead because at one point we had inverse haircuts. (laughs) Yeah. Oh, my God. (laughs) And both got head tattoos, which is very sick. (laughs) (laughs) Um, can you kind of talk about how that, um, what, what that means and how it informs your intention? I, okay. So Maitri means loving kindness towards oneself. It's Sanskrit. Um, and I was reading a Pima Chodron book. We um, love Pima. (laughs) She comes up every, every interview. 
She's so great. I mean, I feel like when she just talks, she might need to take a sip of water sometimes, but <laughs> I love her. <laughs> I'm <off>, Emma. <laughs> Get it together. We love you. <laughs> I would like to see her talk at some point, but I, um, yeah, she's just very digestible. Uh, the, the, I, I don't subscribe to any organized religion, period. Even Buddhism. Buddhism has its, you know, their patriarch, you know I mean? It's like yeah. patriarchy. And- Everybody has their bullshit. Yeah, I mean, they're killing people in Myanmar. You know, it's just like, y'all are lost. You've all lost the fucking plot. But I take what I need from these these religions. And Buddhism is probably most what I, what I take from. And she's just really a digestible person. And I was reading her book and I was wanting kindness up here. And then I was like, well, if I get kindness and then I'm like mean to somebody, <laughs> they're going to call me out. <laughs> no, Especially but- if it's on your forehead. <laughs> Yeah. And you know, someone's going to piss me off. Like, get the fuck, you know, whatever. <laughs> but, um, but in all seriousness, I was really thinking about the word kindness. And then I was reading the book and Maitri came up and, and it was all about loving kindness towards oneself, which is genuinely like the core of my healing. Like if you are kind, truly kind to yourself, you can only be kind to other people. Like that's it. And I was like, Maitri, that's it. I love it. And I, yeah, I just decided to get it tattooed on my head. Hell yeah. <laughs> and I am going to shave my head again. I just, I'm growing it out because I need to, I wanted to grow it out for a while and reshape it. And now I'm just like, I'm going to grow it out until we're on the other side of this. And then I'm going to shave away the trauma. That's beautiful. Yeah. That's really powerful. And also, I mean, I think that like, you know, especially in terms of like, doing trauma work, doing shadow work and really getting in there, this idea of like a meta, like mm-hmm. it doesn't mean weak. It doesn't mean unboundaried. You know, there's like some, so much like precise and encompassing strength, you know, in yeah. loving kindness, especially yeah, totally. if, if the seed is always has to be with us. Yeah. And it's, it's interesting. Like what, if, what people don't understand is that when we are our weakest, it is genuinely when we are actually our strongest in terms of like a vulnerability in terms of like, if we're still getting, we're still doing what we need to do. And we're mm. so weak. You are actually the strongest you've ever been. If you find that energy to exist in this world, mm. the weakest moment, you are strong as fuck. Yeah. No. And it sounds like you have direct experience with that. Yeah. I mean, it's just like, yeah, when I see, when I'm like a puddle on the ground crying, I'm really fucking strong when I'm doing that. You know, it's interesting. I think this idea of like being able to be in, in presence and contact with one's own feelings, which I think so much of the, like what we talk about on this show is, is about like sobriety in terms of not only like physical sobriety and abstinence from drugs or alcohol, but like more pointedly, like the definition of sober is like present, you know, like no, no holds barred universe. Like I will feel the feelings. Um, I think it's like, as you say, it's super powerful, but it's also like, what a, what a loving choice, you know, because like then I'm allowing the, whatever, whatever needs to be felt to move through as opposed to just constantly like saving it for later, you know, it just gets Dang louder. It. Exactly. Man. It might bitch. be exhausting. It's exhausting to be present in all of the, tr- all of the stuff that gets thrown at you, but you are dealing with it on the, on the spot and then moving on as opposed to getting drunk and, you know, dealing with it later. 
Yeah. Like, no, you're actually, bitch, you're fucking dealing with it. You're going to deal with it now. Although it's interesting, like I'm recently learning this idea of like modulation, like how to kind of um, turn down the volume of or, or the intensity of feeling if it's like inappropriate in that moment. And it sounds like you've had some good practice with that. Like what are your kind of tools for doing that today? Turning down the intensity of a moment? Or like for me, I know like if I'm hyper anxious or feeling, you know, sometimes like especially this year because there's been like the space for it when grief comes up, it's really fucking loud and it feels like I'm never going to stop crying. Like Mm -hmm. it's such a visceral and kind of like almost it feels very epic. (laughs) Like it's really it's it's it feels like everything all at once. And at some point, like it'll move. It'll it has the feeling has an end, you know, like that particular Mm -hmm. flavor. But like. It can feel a a little bit. It can feel incredibly overwhelming and kind of untenable. Mm -hmm. Like, Mm -hmm. so been really very curious about other people's practices of kind of being able to modulate the emotional process. Mm -hmm. Um, I oftentimes have to be alone. And if it's an intense situation, I need to meditate and ground and clear. I do like um, pretty specific meditation work with um, I'll do grounding, shielding, um, centering, opening my chakras, and then clearing. Okay, so this is all, these are all meditations, and they're all visualizing meditations. I do call in my guides and, um, and, and try to work with my guides. And um, those five things, it's called the big five, are, are good things for anyone to do. And um, it, it's all visualization. I think the most important thing that I try to spread to people that ask me about meditation is the grounding. Yeah. You know, just literally sitting and imagining a root of a tree coming out of the the base of your spine or like for me, it all, it changes through time. And so your brain does really interesting things. So right now for me, it's a light. It's like a, like a, like a A beam of light through your center. Just like, at the base of my spine, when I turn the light on, it shines right down through the earth. You can see it just passes through, you know, concrete, wood, and dirt, and rock, right to the center of the earth. And I just connect. And it sometimes it takes like five minutes, and I'll just connect right to the center of the earth. And I'm trying to tell people that this is one of the most important first steps that you can do. If you can do that for five minutes a day, you know, set an alarm. Do it for two weeks if you can and, and, and tell me you don't feel a difference. Um, and it's really interesting because when you visualize stuff, like I would visualize, um, you know, there would be like a weight attached to a rope that was on a spindle. So it would like lower into the earth and like, or like a laser or something like that. And it's funny because you'll visualize and then all of a sudden your visualization will be like, it won't go down anymore. It'll go like over here, over there, fear, 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 fear. And you can't get it to go down to the center of the earth. And you're just like battling with yourself to like get to the center of the earth. And it's just really interesting, the things that your brain will do. But, um, but those are the things you have to take note of. It's just like, that's the battle. And like, you just keep with it every single day. Just try to get to the center of the earth. And if you can't get to the center of the earth, just go down as, as deep as you can. I love how practical this is in terms of like, this is actual a thing that you can do not just think about, but like sit and feel it and see what happens. Yeah, you know? for sure. And people are like scared of the word meditation. You're like, I can't, I can't stop thinking. I'm like, no, you're actually just focusing. And when you lose focus and you think about this, you think about that, you say, oh, th- I'm thinking. And then you bring it back, back to what you're supposed to be focusing on, whether it's the breath 
whether it's grounding, and you're going to fucking do that hundreds of times when you meditate. Hundreds. People don't understand. Like, that's normal. That's it. <laughs> that's it. That's what's going to happen. You just come back to the breath, and then in time, it might slow down. It will never stop completely. You're always going to have this thing where your mind wanders. If not, then you are an ascended master or some shit. You know what I mean? Like <laughs> we're humans in a fast paced world. Like our brains move, but the trick, the trick is to try to get us to just stop obsessively thinking enough to where we can quiet the mind for a small amount of time so that when the thoughts do come in, they're powerful. They're meaningful thoughts. They're thoughts from the inner self. And they might have actual intention in there. And you might be able to like, you have an idea you didn't think of before or like things starting to come through and you write them down. Those moments of clarity are super fucking awesome. I mean, even the ability to just pay attention to like one thing (laughs) for more than 30 seconds is pretty miraculous right now. I know. I can't even watch a movie without like scrolling. (laughs) Oh, I got to rewind. I heard Netflix is starting to make just like ambient films for people who are just who they know are on their phones while watching that like there's a very easy to follow story and some very basic dialogue. It's not meant for watching. It's meant for using your phone while a movie is on. I mean, that's what 30 Rock is for me. I put 30 Rock on because I've seen every episode 50 times. So I put 30 Rock on, I can scroll on my phone and then look for the really funny parts. You know, it's just self-soothing. Like, and Parks and Rec, yeah. Oh my god, I'm watching Parks and Rec in full for the first time ever, and it's the best. It's it's oh my like god, it's so Xanax. good. It's like it's like a anti-anxiety medication, like 100. Low stakes, everything's great. Have you gotten to the Tammies yet? I love the Tammies. I love the Tammies, <laughs> and I love that. Um, like, isn't uh, Karen? What's her name? <laughs> Megan Mullally and the one he's married to, yeah, are real yeah. married. <laughs> yeah, um, they're like the best couple ever. I, I, it, I feel like the, uh, like why it's so effective is because there's like archetypes of everybody in every character. Like mm-hmm. I have a little bit of Ron Swanson and a lot of Leslie Knope. <laughs> yeah, 100%. and I'm a DJ, so obviously like Tom. <laughs> yeah, so, exactly. Heavy plug: if you're not watching uh, Parks and Rec and or Thirty Rock during this terrible time on Earth, we highly recommend it. Highly um, recommend. Um, and and so to kind of get back to the sober sex question, we've you've talked about your psycho- psychedelic experiences being deeply like embodying and and powerful. Um, have they kind of changed? I mean, I guess this is kind of a, a no brainer. Like, obviously, how in fact have they changed like your relationship to your own sexuality i think like it it more comes down to sobriety instead of psychedelics um and in that i'm not going to invite someone into my bed unless i trust them and yeah i mean real intimacy i i want the real intimacy and i also want to be able to open up to give them that and that takes trust you know with safety yeah, with alcohol through the years, I got to usurp that and be like, get drunk. And then I don't have to worry about all that. And then it's like party time. But like, no, I don't, that's not sustainable anymore. Like, yes, it served me in my 20s. And I had a great fucking time, but um, now it doesn't serve me. So I need to find the deeper relationships and find the people that I trust um, to be intimate. You know, that means going on dates. Oh, powerful. Get to know them. Yeah. Oh man, like it's 
it's crazy too when the for I feel like for a long time and I might have talked about this on the show before but this idea of like I would confuse anxiety and arousal <laughs> because like <gasps> for so long me yeah, too why would I, why would I have to like differentiate if I was fucked up yeah yeah and then or, it's right anxiety going. yeah wow I never heard anybody else say that like or or like um, excitement with anxiety like happy excitement with anxiety yes so wild I never and I was like I didn't. Wow. I like didn't even think about that in years until you just said that. Yeah, no, it's a, it's definitely a thing. And it's like, wow. oh, fuck, like, because it was very, and I think it's, you know, it set off a lot of unhealthy relationship patterns, because of course, like, if I'm feeling what I believe is arousable is actually anxiety, because someone's not safe. Mm-hmm. Like it, it, why would that be a healthy relationship? Yeah, you know, so it's like this whole, I think it's like the getting into the body and, and getting present in terms of sobriety, mm-hmm. like that in itself is such a bizarre adventure because you find out so much about like <laughs> what the fuck was going on emotionally before, you know, that kind yeah. of led to these situations with these people who are like, oh man, how the fuck did that happen? Mm-hmm. I was sober. Yes. <laughs> but you had no idea what you were feeling. Yeah. <laughs> Man, it's just like the brain is so intense, you know, with what the three levels of the brain, what is it, the amygdala, which is like the um, caveman, reptilian brain. Lizard brain. brain. (laughs) They talk to us a lot about this in rehab. (laughs) Yeah. And uh, I don't know if prefrontal cortex is the outer, the one we use now, and then there's like a middle layer, and I can't remember what, um, there's like three layers. Mid-brain. Midbrain. Where's trauma live? <laughs> well, all that trauma lives in our reptilian brain, you know? And so we aren't able to like think of it subjectively and process it because it's in this like fight or flight death, like part of our existence. So what's fun, what's interesting about EMDR is it helps bring up you, you, you kind of titrate into these traumas, which means like maybe touching, touching into the trauma and then, pulling off, touching into that situation again, and then pulling back, getting a little bit deeper and then pulling back. So it's not overwhelming your whole body. So you're able to like go to these situations and slowly work them out of your reptilian brain into deactivate. You're basically fun. Like basically it's stuck here in the reptilian brain and you're trying to work it up through to your prefrontal cortex. So you can, Um, actually contextualize the trauma Mm. from a safe space. And you, as a person that we are now, as an evolved creature, we can go through and, and release, you know, like the, the, the fight or flight or freeze, you know, that's all reptilian. And if we can go through these traumas again, you can slowly go back into this trauma, but from a place of where we are now as human beings, the prefrontal cortex, we don't necessarily need to go and fight, flight, or freeze mode. We can actually complete the cycle of the trauma and release it. So that's so beautiful. I mean, I'm very like, it's on my reading list. <laughs> we talk about it constantly, but this whole like, you know, the Bessel van der Kolk, like the body keeps the score stuff is so mm-hmm. powerful because it's like, yeah. especially in a state of disassociation, this idea of like the the wisdom that my body has access to and all of this like crazy information that you're even talking about when you're like, the the fantastic imagery the like the ideas the like embodied existence mm-hmm. you know if i'm not in my body i have no access to that and then you like mm-hmm. the work yeah. it sounds like you're doing with the mdr is like 
So sick. So, so do you feel like it's, it's helpful and effective in kind of releasing the kind of PTSD like grip on the, yeah. on the brain? It's like, I'm still unpacking what's going on. And it takes, it takes quite a few sessions before you really start going deep with it. Um, so, but it is helping me, yeah, get on the other side and release these, these, these things. And it's, it's like interesting for me because I don't remember the actual trauma happening. I remember afterwards. And I also remember another situation. So I don't get to go back to the actual trauma. The event. Yeah. Yeah. And a lot of people can go back to the event to kind of deal with that. So for me, we're kind of trying to find our way around it and and touch into these things that I do remember. And it's really interesting coming up with like the concepts that kind of changed me fundamentally, um, these belief systems that I carried as an adult that happened that that, like kind of were created when I was four. So um, being able to like unpack these things with this kind of therapy has been really interesting. Um, But yeah, it's just about contextualizing and getting out of the reptilian brain with trauma. And it's like uh, somatic therapy as well. Um, there's a really that, good that kind of poly polyvagal ladder. <laughs> is this- I think so. Something it's like, it's about letting your body, like I just, I'm reading a, I'm, I've just read a book that I, I've been like getting buying for friends. Cause it's so good. Mostly based on the guy who kind of created somatic therapy and the way he kind of starts this book off is telling you, um, his, you know, he walks out of his house and this is a beautiful day. And then boom, he gets hit by a car and he can't move. And um, he's already been, you know, kind of deep 40 years into studying this and figuring out somatic therapy at this point. So he's putting it all to a test. So the ambulance shows up and he's starting to understand what happened in that he couldn't actually react to this car hitting him. He just gets hit and he flies. And he basically... um, is trying to tell this woman who shows up, the ambulance, the, the woman, the doctor, I guess, um, to not knock him out, not give him pain meds to knock him out. He needs to actually process go the whole process of what just happened. So I don't know if you've ever gone through a very severe trauma where you're shaking. Yeah. Like at the end of the trauma, you're shaking. That's actually you coming back into your body. This is like how animals, when they're attacked, like if you watch nature or whatever, you see like the antelope do like the hard shake after they're attacked by the lion if they survive. And then they come back and then they're good. They they do study the animals in this book as well, of that exact thing. So he basically is like scanning his body, body, trying to understand what's going on. Then he starts shaking violently and she's going to give him something. He's like, don't, don't give me anything. Let me do this. And then she's like, okay. And then explains to her, like after he finally, the, the shaking subsides and he's on his way in the ambulance, he's like, okay, I'm back in my body. I'm not going to have PTSD now. And she was like, what? Really? How? So basically it's this whole idea of like with EMDR, you can actually go back to these situations where say you were held down and you weren't like as a kid, say like, you know, there's another example. This kid had to go under for surgery. And instead of, and she was really scared. And instead of them calming her down before putting her under, they held her down, put the stuff on her and knocked her out. So she wasn't able to do the whole process of getting back in her body, calming down and going into this process. So for the, her whole life, 
she had this crippling, crazy ass anxiety, could barely function as an adult. And the EMDR took her back to that very scenario where they like basically got her back to this, this place as a, as a child. And he was just literally like, run, run. And she was just like with her legs running, you know, and like was able to like complete the cycle complete the cycle and was able to like come back into her body and finish the trauma instead of just being held down. And then you're taken out of it. Like modern medicine. I mean, how often does this happen in modern medicine now where you're just like in an accident, they put you out, you're not able to get back in your body. Boom. You have PTSD. So it's really interesting with somatic therapy that like, no, we need to actually continue this whole cycle of the trauma. So you don't carry it with you. And what's the book called that you've been, let me just grab (laughs) We love this shit. (laughs) It's so good. Oh, it's called In an Unspoken Voice. In an Unspoken Voice. Yeah, in an Unspoken Voice. Peter A. Levine. Okay, beautiful. Glorious. (laughs) We love a book club. It's really good. I mean, it's like, it's digestible. You know, it's, you know, I just, I just bought it for another friend of mine who's kind of going through some stuff, you know. And um, just helps you learn your body and like learn these things. And um, it helped for me to read this before starting EBR. So you could kind of be more like present with what the process as it was happening. Mm-hmm. Awesome. Yeah. Awesome. Yeah. Well, it has been truly a joy talking. So before we go into the lightning round, which is thrilling, I assure you, <laughs> can you tell people where to find you? And if there's anything else that you would like to plug or replug? What's, what's up with the internet? I mean, I'm not sure where you can find me other than my apartment and uh, <laughs> studio. But um, yeah, I'm just, you know, look for my record coming out on 2MR. Um, and other than that, I'm just, I'm just in writing mode. At so Lauren Flax. <laughs> at Lauren Flax on Instagram. Um, that's probably the best bet. Awesome. Yeah. Beautiful. I won't give away your amazing personal Facebook because... <laughs> Russ and I trolled it earlier looking for your birthday. Yeah. <laughs> oh, Snoop it's, Dinkle. it's like facebook.com slash Snoop Dinkle. You said it. I didn't say it. If you've got a bunch of weird friend requests, <laughs> you can play <laughs> <laughs> So the lightning round, what does your morning routine look like? My morning routine. I wake up and I immediately slice a lemon in half, boil water, and uh, have lemon water um, in bed. Then I meditate. This is what I'm supposed to be doing, and I don't always do it. It can be be an aspirational morning routine. Yeah. And um, I'll basically meditate, and I'm doing the 40-day kundalini, so it's a 30-minute kundalini. And then every other day I'll be running. You're a big runner. I am not a natural runner, but I am actually running now, which is really good. Um, So I try to get all all of the self-care stuff done first thing. I don't eat before I run, so I usually have to go pretty quickly. Um, and then I just take my day. I, I go to the studio or I'm home. That's basically it. Beautiful. Uh, that seems like a very clean morning. I like that. Yeah. <laughs> um, what is a song that makes you feel powerful? Oh, my gosh. Today. It doesn't have to be the number one all-powerful song of all time. <laughs> just today. I mean, immediately caribou just popped in my head and it isn't even, it's like, uh, our love, I think is the name of the, and it's the whole record. Beautiful. 
Power power songs from Caribou. Excellent. Yeah. What is your favorite socially awkward sober question to ask people to encourage them to talk about themselves if you're in a socialist circumstance event? To get what is the question I ask for them to talk to about? Open up. <laughs> yeah. Oh. Um yeah, you know, star signs. Oh yeah. <laughs> yeah, that'll usually really break the ice. Yeah, that'll break the ice. At least you know if someone believes in astrology or not. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. That's rad. And when I was like newly, newly sober, like it just was like still in sober living, like fresh out of rehab, I carried around a notebook that I would, uh, like write down questions to ask people because like I was so <laughs> uncomfortable all the time. Like if you could carry around a tiny animal in your pocket, what animal would that be? <laughs> oh my God. That's amazing. Uh, What's what yours? Hedgehog. They're basically lightning round. Hedgehog? Oh, <laughs> that's really good. I mean, so it could cute. also be like an elephant that you shrunk. Like it could be literally any, it doesn't have to be a pocket-sized animal organically, but a hedgehog is a pretty cute one. <laughs> I mean, elephants, I mean, is there a more majestic creature on, on planet Earth? Especially if you make it tiny and put it in your pocket. <laughs> oh, yep. Or just like the size of my cat. Oh, beautiful. A baby hippo, perhaps. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> um, um what some on some real a real hippie tip what is the color of your aura oh it's interesting that you ask this because I'm, I'm learning how to read auras Ooh, i love read. this yeah um the color of my aura i would probably say i'm wearing green right now so i think it's green it's a lot of heart i like that yeah, I feel like I was turquoise for most of my life, and it's ascending into a slightly more purple vibe. Okay, cool. <laughs> I'm very excited about it. I'm like, oh, this is a change, <laughs> <laughs> and that's it. Thank you so much for being a wonderful guest, Lauren. It's a pleasure to get to know you better. I love you very I much. I love you, Louisa. I miss you. We have to play together again at Sunday. Have dinner, chill out, watch a movie. Can we just like do any of this? All of it soon, I hope. You're a joy. <laughs>